Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. This past weekend was an amazing, amazing sports weekend. We had uh, World Cup qualifying, Canada and the United States. Canada getting the job done. Uh, Deux à zéro getting the job done over the United States. Is that a Davies uh, jersey? It is an Alfonso Davies jersey, the all black. Uh, a shout out to everyone who's been watching his uh, Twitch streams, by the way, and also shout out to everyone who's been watching the SDPN Twitch streams because Jesse Blake has obviously been doing a great job on that. A conference championship football as well. Uh, obviously, the NHL games going on as they normally do on a weekend, and we'll get into some great NHL news and notes, of course. But uh, CJ may have one-upped us all because he got to take in all of those sports and got to party with the Stanley Cup. Uh, so you, you were sending some photos just mean mugging with Lord Stanley's mug. Can you tell us about your weekend and how you ended up with the Stanley Cup? Yeah, it's a Monday morning. I got a Stanley Cup hangover, which isn't quite the same as the other types <laughs> of hangovers, but uh, it's going to be hard to top the, the weekend uh, moving forward for me. So yeah, I'm down uh, in Coburg. I was visiting uh, with my dad over the weekend, and it just so happens that one of the, the guys who looks after the Stanley Cup, Mike Bolt, uh, is one of the cup keepers. You know, he's his dad actually just happens to live in Coburg. And, you know, I get a text on Saturday, and he's like, hey, are you are you in town? Uh, you know, the, the Stanley Cup's here, and we're going to have a couple people over. Uh, and I just happen to be in town. And so Saturday, literally walk into his dad's house, Beautiful house, just but a normal house and just sitting normal except for one thing. In the living room, there's a small platform set up and the Stanley Cup is just sitting there. That's insane. And, like you said, that's funny. <laughs> and like and it's like a really it wasn't like a big party, like it's just a couple of families yeah. and a few kids around. But like when I came in, actually, like everyone was sort of in the kitchen area, which was separate, and like the cup is just sitting in an empty room, like all shined up. Uh really surreal, honestly. And we had sort of a small gathering, a little barbecue dinner action and, you know, hung out with the cup a bit. It was like, it was wild. Um, and, you know, obviously professionally I've been around the trophy a lot, but it's usually say at like Stanley cup final media day, it'll be out where we are, or, you know, even events like the all-star game this week, like I've seen it a ton over the years, but it's always in the setting where you got to be professional a and B you know, like you're not going to like run over. Sometimes I'm busy doing whatever event it is. Like this was the first time I could say where I was around it. And it felt like sort of an intimate setting. Um, and so, man, I geeked out like a kid on it. And what was really cool, and you can yeah. ask whatever questions, is then on Sunday, you know, Mike said, hey, why don't you bring your dad over? Because my dad didn't come with me Saturday night. Uh... And so then I went back Sunday early afternoon with my dad. And that was even more intimate. And, and you know, we got some photos together with the cup. And that was pretty cool. Cobert Poppy getting his day with the cup. I have questions. I know there are other NHL questions uh, that we'll get to on the podcast. Don't worry, but we have to ask about CJ's day with the cup. Uh, I know you got to pose with it. Did you try to lift it at all? Did you try to eat out of it at all? Did you get to do any other fun stuff while you could get, you know, intimate with the Stanley Cup? Or did you just like pose with it? Well, I posed with it, but I made the conscious decision because there's that, that sort of, myth or whatever you want to call it there that if you touch it you can never win it right and and let's face it the odds of me ever being in a situation where i'm working for a team or something that could win it but like it's not the, the chance is above zero that that can happen one day, right it's not high 
not even mm-hmm. necessarily an explicit ambition of mine, but I was like, you know what, screw this. Like, I don't know if I'll get a chance like this again. So like I had my hands all over that thing. You oh, know, I, I would, you know, like my dad and I actually posed for a photo. Maybe we can dump it in for those watching this on YouTube, you know, but I got my hand on the bowl. My dad's touching it. I was like, when am I, like, who knows if we'll ever get this chance. So I, I kind of made the conscious choice not to adhere to that. Um, that sort of myth, what have you. It's funny because I won't name the player because I don't have the permission, but Mike Bolt, the, the cup keeper, told me one of the players that recently won it told him afterwards. He's like, you know, I've drank out of this before. So, you know, I figure if if a player on a team that's won the cup in the last few years drank out of it before he ever got a chance to win it, what's what's the harm if I can just touch it? But, you know, the one rule, even in that setting, that you, you can't pick it up. Like, I mean, it's the thing I actually most wanted to do not even for a picture or anything like I'm, you're just curious, like, could I lift this? How would it feel? How mm-hmm. heavy is it really? I mean, we've, I mean, how iconic is that image? Any of us who've watched the cup ceremony, or even if you've just gone to a player's cup day, you know, which I've, I've done a couple of times over the year is actually in Coburg um, in 2014 when, when Justin Williams had the Stanley cup here. And so I've been around it, it. Everyone wants to lift it. Right. I mean, that's kind of the iconic thing, but you know, even, even when you're in like someone's living room and, and it's kind of, you know, that, that's, that's the rule. You won't be broken. And obviously we adhered to that. I did actually get a chance for the first time ever too, though, to look into the bowl, like literally in the bowl. And there, there is the names. Uh, I can't remember what oh, year shit. there is names from one of the teams that's engraved in the bowl, like from the early 1900s. And there was someone with the last name Johnston in there. So the word Johnston is one of the few names inscribed, like actually in the bowl at the top of the cup. And that's something I would never have known until, uh, getting a chance to chill with it here over the weekend. Could be a long lost relative. Could be. I mean, it's a fairly common last name. Uh, Not too, but still, that'd be fun. You never know. You know, my dad even put a picture up on, on, you know, his social media with himself with a cup. And then my cousin said the cup was supposed to be in our house in 1921-22 when so-and-so on the Ottawa team won it. Like the, the, there's already like, the, the cool thing about that trophy, right, is everyone has a story. And yes. I think, it's certainly anyone who likes a sport that's had a chance to see it or be around it remembers that. And there's, there's sort of this feeling like that it's been everywhere. Uh, it turns out, I guess it hasn't been south of the equator. Uh, yeah, to Mike I don't Bull. think it. Sorry, go ahead. My bad. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone like bring it like further down south. No, but maybe, you know, maybe Nathan Walker wins it at some point who's from Australia. I mean, at some point it'll get there, I'm sure. Um, but you just get that feeling it's been everywhere. Like even did a cool thing. There's a small town outside Cobra called Grafton. And earlier that day, I'm not sure how it came to be, but he took it to a pond where some kids were playing hockey and just kind of like surprised them with it. Um, and you know, I, people have been doing that with a cup for at least 20 years and maybe even beyond that, like just sort of taking it to events, taking it to hospitals, you know, it doesn't just appear in the obvious places, you know, it, it's a, in non-COVID times, it's traveling most of the year, like almost every day. It's somewhere at some event in some arena. Like he was telling me like a big part of what he used to do is go to ECHL games, just random places. They would have it on display at an ECHL game as a way to sort of sell the sport, have, you know, give people a reason to come out to the arena and get a chance to pose with it and stuff like that. And so it's so cool to be around that trophy, even when you do my job and you've seen it before. And to like just be in some random living room is blows my mind in my hometown. I mean, I don't, I don't want to out anyone here, but the cup actually lives some days in Coburg when, when the, one of the cup keepers has it and he's, he's down here living here. So who knew? 
So if you want to see the Stanley Cup on any random day, if you're ha- if you happen to be in Coburg, there's a good chance you might not be too far from it. Is what you're saying? I wouldn't say there's a good chance because it does travel. Like I think even in COVID times, it like the event list of places it goes is very long. Um, so I think that there were some pretty specific circumstances that had to be in place for it to be spending the night at Mike's house uh, this week. And you know there are other cup keepers too. You know everyone. Yeah. It's sort of something that I think the average person knows Phil Pritchard because he's he's been in the the MasterCard commercials back in the day, or even, you know, Phil and Craig Campbell, uh, who works at the Hall of Fame, they're the two guys that, that each year bring it out for presentation with the white gloves mm-hmm. on to the winning team. So people know of them or aware of them, but, you know, it's actually a team of people that, that travel around with it every day that are that do the, the summer tour with, you know, where the players each get their day with the cup and, and staff members of the teams. I mean, it's a punishing, punishing job because if you only get one day with it, think about it if you win. If you're on Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, you want to have, if you're any player or, or the coach or whatever, you want to have as much time that day as you can. But the person the next day also wants to have as much time with it as they can. And the next day and the next day. And obviously there's travel involved. And so the cup keepers don't get a lot of sleep when they're in the grind of that. And so there's a, there's actually a team of them that do it. So, you know, Mike Bolt has done a lot of that work over the last 20 years. And he's, you know, the one that lives down here in Coburg. But, um, you know, there's there's actually a group of them that, that actually somehow keep that trophy on the road more than, got more frequent flyer points than, than, than anyone else in hockey, put it that way. And they clean it too, you know, cause not only are those, are those people celebrating with the Stanley cup, they might do something like, Oh, I don't know. He puts in out of it. Like I think Matthew Joseph did that when uh, he won the cup uh, with the with the lightning last year. Ice cream, cereal, poutine. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff that's been eaten out of it. I mean, that, that seems to be one of the things a lot of the players do. Um, it's kind of funny. Like I've never thought, like imagine you won it and you got one day with it. You got 10 hours, say like, well, how would you fill those 10 hours? I mean, obviously you'd want your friends and family, people that mean the most to you to be part of it. You might want to share it with your community. You know, that was something cool that Justin Williams did uh, in 2014. They had like a small parade here through town and took it to the band shell at the beach. And there was, you know, a bunch of kids out there. And he actually had a really inspiring message that you know, I was once a kid in this small town and, you know, trust me, if you follow your dreams, you can do this. I mean, I think you want to kind of use it for some personal time. You want to thank friends and family. And then obviously the community or somewhere close to you, you, you want to find a way to do it. And so it's kind of stressful, like planning a wedding or something, what you do with those 10 hours, because <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it goes quick. And it's, you know, a lot of people want a piece of that when you, when you get that opportunity. And, you know, I'm not sure I need anything out of it, to be honest, like that, that, that wouldn't be my priority. I, w- I wouldn't mind drinking out of it though. If, if the opportunity yeah. ever came you put beer in there. One one thing that I wonder, this is the last thing I'll get to, and then we'll get to the NHL stuff, um, is if anyone has ever had their child, like, baptized in the Stanley Cup. I'm sure that's sure. happened once. Yes. Like, the bowl is small enough where you could put a baby in there and, and do all the stuff you would normally do at a baptism. Like, I'm sure some child has been baptized in the Stanley Cup before. What's amazing is that other things have happened in the, in the bowl of that thing too, that are unspeakable or not to be shared on this podcast. So like, it's, there's a lot of things. No, I don't mean, sorry. I'm not, I'm not inferring anything too, but I'm just saying like, it's that thing's been everywhere, man. Like, I mean, even I think it was thrown in the Ottawa canal once, like, like way back when it was in Mary Lemieux's pool once at some point. Someone from the Canadians dented it. I think it was like Gila Fleur. Someone dented it. It gets dented every year. Like, I remember the Capitals were doing keg stands on it and then the, it was all folded in like that went online. I mean, look, it takes a beating. It's, it's meant, that's, what's kind of cool about it in a way. Like, obviously I'm not saying anyone should seek to break it, but I mean, it's, it, 
it is like a, it, it's almost like it's a thing that exists, right? Like it's it's an inanimate object, obviously, but it's there's there's something more there. I think that's part of the appeal of it. I mean, it's a it's just a straight up beautiful trophy. But I think that just the feeling that it's been, you know, that you can drink out of it, that you can pass it around, that you could baptize a baby in it or eat ice cream or all those things. Like it's, I don't know. It takes on like a, a quality that I find other sports trophies really don't. I mean, there's there's other pretty sports trophies. Like I wouldn't mind the Canadian men bringing the World Cup trophy home from Qatar <laughs> later this year, of course. But like even that trophy, it's nowhere near in my mind as iconic, even though it's better known maybe around the world. But the Stanley Cup is truly a special, awesome thing. Are you ready to go from the arguably the 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 one of the best trophies in sports to talk about a franchise that is nowhere near close to winning one anytime soon in the Arizona Coyotes? And this weird arena plan that uh, the University of uh, Arizona State seemed to have confirmed it is in that it, that it is happening. Uh, a five thousand seat venue uh, could be the future home of the Coyotes for the next few years. Are you ready to go in on that and explain it to me? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. Well, here's why it makes sense: okay. is the Coyotes owners really want to keep the team in Arizona? Clearly. And- and so, and there truly are not, I mean, Glendale, the arena where they've currently been playing, that relationship with the city council has soured to the fact that, you know, they're basically kicking the Coyotes out at the end of the season and they don't seem at all willing to even extend one year or two years the lease while the Coyotes make other plans. And so, you know, you run out of options beyond that. There's, there's not, you know, a ton of venues where you could, you know, move a team even on a temporary basis, you know, in the Phoenix area. You know, the reason they believe this is a, good idea is that it's in Tempe. I think it's no more than about a mile from where they're trying to, to build a pretty grand arena project that includes like a huge entertainment district around it, a casino, obviously restaurants and bars and, you know, the kind of thing we've seen work in a lot of other places. You know, I, I think of the area around Staples Center as being kind of like what they're looking to do, but, you know, even probably bigger because they're, they're starting to do it now. And so it, it puts them in the area geographically where they want the team to be. They think they see the opportunity in this that, okay, yeah, the downside is only 5,000 tickets to sell. The upside is that that is going to be the most intimate building you could ever see an NHL game in anywhere. And I think that they're hoping to do something that gets attention that way, you know, as a go between before they build this, this big arena. And, you know, at this point, it's actually in Arizona state university's hands, like the coyotes, this is their number one priority. They do have, plan B and C and D from what I understand, if this doesn't come through, you know, they have other ideas for things they could do. Um, but they're hoping that this is what happens And it. You know, we're talking three to four years too, Julian, like it's not, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's no shovels in the ground on the Tempe project. I mean, I, there's, there's a, there's a lot of elaborate plans for how that would look and there's the whole design is in place, but you know, it's, it's not, you, you don't build that kind of arena overnight. And so, you know, I think it would be, it's a fascinating social experiment if this actually comes to be, um, you know, I get why people are critical of it. The, the Coyotes as an organization have been in basically unstable for at least 15 years uh, financially. They've, they've struggled to great gain traction in their market. They believe because Glendale is, is a fair hike from Phoenix for anyone who hasn't been there. It's, it's, it's a long way. Like, if you're flying into Phoenix to cover an NHL game, you're renting a car usually because we're talking 50, 60, $70 cab ride just to get to the area where the arena is. It's, it's a long way away. Um, and so they think that 
ge- that that their issues have been geographic as much as anything that they're not where their fan base is and you know the average fan on a tuesday night november might not want to make that drive they might just choose to go to a few less games a year because of some of those things um you know we'll, we'll see we'll see where it goes but i'll tell you as much as the speculation is out there houston quebec city milwaukee kansas city i don't know places you might put a team like i don't get any sense whatsoever that they're making those type of plans um i guess anything is possible like it's I suppose it's possible that if everything falls through, if there's literally nowhere for them to play, maybe they have no choice. But, you know, I, I asked this week of someone who would know if there's a deadline for that decision. And he said there isn't one in place currently. Um, and so we'll see where this goes. But, you know, it's going to be talked about, I think, this week, you know, around All-Star Weekend, if, you know, the commissioner speaks or, you know, we're getting to the midpoint. We're actually just a little beyond the midpoint of this season and a team doesn't have a home for next season. You know, it's it's a fair question at this point. This isn't just speculation. I mean, it's you need somewhere to live. I have two questions. The first question, in terms of the venue itself, I'm sure it needs like NHL enhancements, something to make it a little bit more, you know, conducive to a pro player environment. Uh, is there anything that could be done to, uh, I guess, in, obviously increase the quality of the arena, but also increase the capacity? Or is that not an option? I don't think there's much they can do capacity-wise. I mean, it's an arena that's actually still being built. So on, on the plus side, right. it, it's a new venue. I mean, it's it's going to be, again, you're, you're not building a college rink to the same specs as you're building an NHL rink. I mean, that the money is just not the same. The, the, the right. need for the use of it, the need to, you know, there's not the need for 40 luxury boxes or probably an ability to put that in that small of an arena. So I think there's 15 or 16. I think that they need to, they're going to need to do improvements to the dressing rooms and even building something kind of adjacent to the arena, almost like an external dressing room, uh, which will come with some cost. Um, but it sounds like there's still time to do that. Like, I don't think that that, that part can be done reasonably quickly. Look, and, and ultimately it's not going to be fully up to the standards of a lot of other arenas, but the way the NHL looks at this is that, you know, the New York Islanders just played several years in Nassau Coliseum a very old, outdated building, very small compared to other arenas. Um, you know, also intimate. Like, it was a cool place to go for a game, Nassau Coliseum, but maybe not the the best place to to make a lot of money on your team. And, and you know, what? but they had to do that while the Belmont project went on. That was a temporary solution. Obviously, they played some games in Brooklyn over the years, too, mm-hmm. uh, in what was really an imperfect solution. I mean, the scoreboard hung over one of the blue lines. Like, it just felt weird. It was not an arena built to have high level hockey played in it with the idea of that. And so I think they see it along those same lines with the league. Like this is not an ideal solution, but if, if Arizona can get where they're building that, that new project in Tempe, I think the league is more than happy to let this go on for a couple of years because the, the prize at the end of that rainbow is pretty strong. And, and, you know, clearly this is a market, like no matter what you think of this market, like clearly the NHL prioritizes it. I mean, there's, been a lot of opportunities not to have it the coyotes in the desert anymore um you know even going back to when the thrashers moved to to play in winnipeg that there was a scenario where the coyotes might be moving to play in winnipeg at that same yes. time it all came down to a glendale city council vote i can't remember what the exact issue was at the moment but my point is it was dangling by enough of a thread that there was contingency plans in place you know obviously the league bought the team out of bankruptcy and ran it for a few years um you know alex morello that that owns a team now he's got a lot of other businesses and he sees this as part of those businesses like he owns 
a chain of casinos. Um, he owns a whole bunch of things. He owns a bunch of pizza restaurants. Like, I think he, see, he sees this as part of sort of a larger financial strategy to do with his other holdings. And so, you know, he bought the team to keep in Arizona. I actually, I get why the skepticism is out there because this team always seems to run into problems, but I, I don't get any sense in talking to people around the Coyotes that they, that they, it would, the easiest thing I guess would be to move it if that was their desire. I think that they really believe that if they get the right set of circumstances there, that it can be a successful venture. And so I think the league is willing to let them do something like this, which is frankly out of the box. You know, what someone said to me too, Julian is it's not like they sell out in Glendale, right? Like I think their current no. attendance figures is somewhere around 11,000 uh, on average this season. They said that like in a 5,000 seat arena priced correctly, they're, they're not actually leaving as much money on the table as you might think, because they're not, they're not maximizing the revenues in the place where they currently call home. So look, it's it. I I'm sort of fascinated by like, I, I hate to say that I'm pulling for it to happen, but first of all, I don't like to see any fan base lose its team. Like, you know, we've, I was back there when like Winnipeg got the jets back. They went to the first game it was actually against the Canadians. Like it was so cool to see a city like that, get his team back. And, and, Obviously, that's a Canadian city. Maybe some of the dynamics are different, but you know, I, I do think that you know there, there definitely are fans in Arizona. Austin Matthews doesn't exist if the Coyotes aren't in Arizona. Like he wouldn't have taken up hockey. Like I think there's a lot of reasons to it's a really desirable place to live and work. And so I, I think that that there's reasons to fight for this. And so I hope it happens. I think it'd be cool to see a game in that environment. And maybe maybe it helps them reach younger people that are like at that university campus, right? Like maybe maybe this is something that can help them build sort of a different kind of foundation than what they've had before they move into the, the bigger, nicer place down the street. Okay. So you mentioned Austin Matthews and that's part of my second question about this. When Austin Matthews contract expires and all the speculation starts to arise about, Hey, what if he goes home to Arizona and they're still playing in this venue? I mean, I know it's just, this, I know it's just an arena, but like, I, I wonder if he, that would be enough to kind of turn him off from even, going home in the first place it's going to be an interesting one right like he has two years beyond this one on his contract and it's it's just too soon like we're just guessing of course absolutely this is pure speculation this is pure speculation like i'm not trying to get you to be like give me a concrete answer like this was you could almost say this is a bit trolling than anything else right but if he was sitting here with us i bet he doesn't even yet know exactly how this is going to play out because I know he loves playing in Toronto. Like, I don't think that that's like, that's not a, that's not a made up thing. He's been on a great team basically since he got here. I mean, he helped make it a great team in the first year, at least a good team from what wasn't a good team. And they've become a great regular season team, scored a ton of goals. Like he clearly likes the spotlight as a guy and, and, you know, playing for a team like the Maple Leafs helps give him that spotlight. You know, they made him one of the top paid players in the league. Um, and so like, I think they've treated him fairly. So I, I do think that, there's definitely a world where he stays in Toronto, but let's see what happens with the team. It's sort of, I don't want to, I don't want to liken it to my own job decision of last summer, but like the truth is, is you have to get all the information you get before you make that kind of call. And, and, you know, he's going to be able to pick his spot at that point in his career. I mean, there's, there's not a team in the league that wouldn't want him if he became a free agent, if he was willing to become a free agent, you know, I would think it's July 1st, 2023. Well, assuming July 1st is free agency in 2023, but July, 2023, when the Maple right. Leafs can officially sign him to an extension one year out from the end of his deal, I would think unless something crazy happens between then and now, they're going to be 
showing up to his agent's door with a massive offer on that day. And, you know, we'll kind of see how this goes down. You know, I think there's probably only five or six places Austin would play though. Like, I think that some, some pretty clear, some pretty clear things would have to be met there. Like they got to be able to pay him a big sum of money. Like because yes. Connor McDavid signed longer term, I actually think Austin will become the next highest paid player in the league. Cause I think yeah. he'll vault. I think he'll vault him on that next deal. At least, um, you know, it's going to have to be either kind of a cool city or maybe an under the radar, cool city. Like I'm not saying it has to be New York or LA or Toronto, but like, I think it's gotta be somewhere kind of cool. I think it has to be an organization where when he's signing that contract, he feels like they have a chance to compete for Stanley cup. Um, you know, in the near future, it's not to say that they have to be absolute cup contenders in that moment, but there has to be like the right collection of young players there where you're, you're joining something that's going to be good and we'll go from there. But, you know, I don't know if Arizona can get there in time is sort of what I'm angling you here too, because I mean, you, we can all see, understand what they're doing to rebuild. Like they have a crazy yeah. number of, they have a crazy number of draft picks in the 2022 draft. I think we'll see them move some of those picks to, to push the draft picks back. Cause like, you don't want to make, I don't know what the number is, 15 picks in 2022. Like, I think you want to spread it back. You know, they're still talking about maybe trading guys like Jacob Chikrin. I mean, you're getting, what, what are they getting in that trade? Future assets. So like, they're going to try to get on the path to building something great, but can they do it in two years where they make that a place where as much as Austin is so proud of where he's from, he still spends his summers, a lot of it in Scottsdale, his parents still live there. You know, can they make it a situation where he really wants to join that um, in, in time? I, th- I think it's going to be tough. That's not to say it's impossible, but I, th- I think it's going to be tough. Um, so, you know, we'll see. This is going to become a big storyline. Like, it's funny. It's not really discussed much in Toronto yet because it's just far enough off. You can't really advance the story anywhere. But after the end of this year's playoffs, no matter what happens for the Leafs, I think it will be a talking point for the next year leading up to July 2023. That's a very good point, and I'm very glad we got that jump on that storyline. July 2023, folks, put it in your calendar. That's when we'll really start to know if Austin Matthews wants to stay in Toronto or go to Arizona or some under-the-radar cool city like, I don't know, uh, what's a, un- Tampa? Do you want to go to Tampa? Nah. You know what's a good point? I mean, maybe, depending on what their salary cap situation is like, I guess. I have to be clear. This isn't this isn't information. This is like this is not information. This is like understanding. I think I have a good understanding of what it could look like or what it would have to look like. And like, you know, I'm just thinking somewhere like Nashville or, you know, just somewhere where like the cool thing about Nashville, of course, like it's it's an awesome fan base, great place to live, no tax state in the US, Tennessee. Like, like I'm just saying if that team was in a spot and who knows, like two years is an eternity, like the Montreal Canadians and I'm not kicking them, but like they were in the Stanley cup final in July and they're in last place. They're bad, but they're in the last place in the NHL as we get to February 1st. Like it's, it's like not even close to a full year later, like things move fast in pro sports. And so it's hard to project out which teams will be cup contenders still by 2023, 2024, when he's making this decision. I actually think if the Leafs keep managing themselves, right, they should still be in that conversation too. You know, I, I'm certainly, I think there's a real world where he stays in Toronto. Like I, I'm not, I know that it seems like there's like a lot of people that like to whisper, like he's gone. I don't buy that one bit. I actually think if the Leafs remain competitive, if they, if we ever get fans back in the building here, like I don't want to beat on this every week, but like if, if the world gets more normal, if it gets exciting, if they go on a playoff run, I mean, he's already like top 10 in goals all time by a member of the Leafs. Like he could go down 
for sure he can go down as the greatest ever Maple Leaf. And, and you know, we're talking about a hundred plus year old franchise. Um, right. You know, I think you know, we'll see how long John Tavares plays. I'm certainly not pushing him out of the league, but Austin Matthews would be the next captain of the Leafs if John Tavares were to retire or, you know, move on for whatever reason. Like, there's a, there's a lot of strong selling points here. And I do think he really genuinely loves the organization and the city. It's just, you know, you also only get one chance in your career to, to think about going somewhere else at his age while he's still on top of his game. And so, you know, you have to at least, I think you have to sort of entertain all thoughts. You know, you don't want to make any big decisions. And the good news for him, like literally it's, he's got 17 months before he even has to make that decision. So it's, Again, that's another eternity. Maybe the Leafs have won a cup by then. Maybe they've been beaten out of the first round and the team's been blown up. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways this could go. Or what about a team like Colorado, which, of course, will have to deal with a superstar of their own uh, and their contract to have to deal with. I'd forget when Nathan McKinnon's contract expires, but he's probably on the best value contract in the league. You got a guy who's making just like a shade over $6 million. But the Avalanche are really good. And I know McKinnon's been out of the lineup for the last little while. They're on an 18-game home winning streak, by the way. Uh, again, the whole Matthews thing, we'll probably get into way more detail how many months down the line. Uh, this is just me trying to transition over to the Avalanche being as good as they are. Like, I, I look at them right now and I see the pieces that they have in place. Like, they might be good enough as they are to make it to the Stanley Cup this year. And who knows if they're able to manage themselves correctly in the next two, three years, they could continue to be a cup contending team. But right now, uh, what do you think of this Avalanche team? What do you think of them? as we are pretty much at the midpoint of this season, are they the best team in the NHL right now? Like, what do you think of them? For sure. Current form. I mean, how are you going to look at their record and conclude otherwise? You know, did I see right that they're 15 and one in January alone? That's insane. There are teams who have not had 15 wins this year. Yeah. But also think about it. They played 16 games in a month with 31 days. Like they played more than every other night and lost one game. And it wasn't even in regulation. Like that's, mind, that's mind boggling. Um, you know, they had a bit of a slower start to the year than we expected. Remember they dealt with COVID, they had some injuries, like, you know, it took them a little while to get their legs under them, I think, and get to live up to sort of the status that, you know, a lot of people have, have, were predicting them to win the Stanley cup, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when it was September, October, uh, you know, I, I see them as right there and look, they've been building at this for a while too. Um, and, and I think that they're going to be one of the aggressive teams in the trade deadline. Like it would not surprise me at all if, you know, we've, we've heard talk of Claude Giroux going there. Like, I think that they'll, I think that they'll be willing to sort of push all the chips that they can into the middle of the table. Uh, they're, they're at, you know, they're probably, they're ahead of the Leafs, but they're in a similar spot as the Leafs. Cause like they, you know, your, your window doesn't always last forever. I mean, Pittsburgh had some down years between those 08 and 09 cup final appearances before they got to 2016 and 17, right? Like they had to retool a lot of the team. Like, that's what teams like Colorado and Toronto will eventually have to do because it's not just McKinnon that needs a new contract, right? Like the, you've got an extension kicking in from a car. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a constant, you know, stressor on that team. Like, you know, Nazem Kadri is having the, 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 the year of his life. Like he's, I think he's two points off his career high and he's played 40 games. You know, a guy who's been in the league for 10 years, that's he, he's to call this a career year is, is understating how much better or more productive this season has been than any other one. I mean, he's, he's likely gone in the summer. And so the challenge will always be to, to have the right players around the top guys on these type of teams. And yeah, I think, I think the avalanche are it. They actually played one of the best games I saw in all of January was a game between the avalanche and Leafs where the Leafs went ahead and Colorado came back and won the game. It just like great game. McKinnon, 
you know, Matthews had two goals in the first period. It was like a really dominant and then McKinnon pushed back and his line was out. like, it was a fun, awesome game on a Saturday night. And so, you know, I think that I have both of those teams is in the top five in the league right now. And, and if you're, if you want to put a, a bet down somewhere, I think you could, you could make do a lot worse than, than picking the abs to win the cup. McKinnon, uh, his contract expires uh, after the 2023 season, making $6.3 million annually with a modified no trade clause. That's just like, I know we, we had a segment like a couple of weeks back where we were talking about the best value contract in the NHL. And someone tried to make the point that it was Alex Formanton. It's clearly, no, Nathan McKinnon. Trey Sorry, Trey excuse me, not Alex Formanton, but it's clearly Nathan McKinnon. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like when you're talking about a high-end guy, I mean, you can find players around the league. There's a few guys that make like 900000 or a million that are having pretty good seasons, like Evan Rodriguez or Michael Bunting, you know, fall into that category. There's others too. But, you know, when you're talking about a guy at the top end that's only making $6 million, I mean, he should be making twelve. Like he's making at minimum half of what he should make. And there's an argument maybe he should be making, you know, McDavid money or even above that. Just, you know, it's all timing, right? Nathan McKinnon's career – for a number one overall pick, it just took him a couple of years to get to this level. I mean, he, he was never mm-hmm. bad, but he wasn't dominant in those first couple of seasons. And, you know, at the time when he signed this deal, there was talk of doing a shorter contract, but he wanted the security of this deal. And I think that's something we overlook sometimes when, when we talk about contracts is that and it's hard because we can't be in the players' minds, but sometimes the players that sign, say, a six-year contract and then outperform it, you know, we say like, oh, they're, they're value. He shouldn't have signed that deal. But like maybe without that security, maybe he never gets to that stage of his career. Like some guys really struggle with contract years, just the stress of it that, you know, maybe put extra pressure on themselves. They don't feel like the team values them. Um, you know, there's, there's maybe some uncertainty there. Like, do they really like me if they only want to sign me to a two years, you know, second contract. And so, you know, I, I think that when we look at that second or third deal that McKinnon signed, you know, a part of that is that the Avalanche showed him the love and, and still paid him an amount of money that if this was all he made, I'm sure he could live comfortably for the rest of his life. And the good news for him is there's no way now he doesn't hit a monster home run uh, on the next one. Although he's, he's actually said in the media that he's, he's willing to take a discount to stay in Colorado. So, you know, we'll see if that comes. He said that a year or two ago. I believe it was an interview with Forbes, I want to say. But, um, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's there's more to life than money, too, for these guys. And, and if he's comfortable there, if he feels like he has a chance to win a cup or a second cup, if they win one this year, then maybe he does take a little less. Absolutely. But uh, in any case, Nathan McKinnon, get paid. Uh, I, just you wa- when yeah, I, saying, I just thought of something when I was saying make a bet, like and that you could do worse in the avalanche. I'm going to Vegas this week. Should we make like a CJ show bet of some sort? Like, should we should we have mm-hmm. me like place a few dollars on? It doesn't have to be the cup winner, like. Is there any, any sort of futures bet that we should be entertaining, do you think, or what, as a, as a show here? Okay. Uh, what's it a really... Pot. Like, so when we get together, like, if we if we hit on it, we can, you know, buy some beers out we of it or the, whatever. We split the pot. What's a really good bet that we could make? Um, hmm. Well, here's the thing. Let me plant that seed today. I'll, yes. be doing a Thursday, we... I'll be doing our Thursday show while I'm in Vegas, and we'll decide. Maybe I'll send you, in the meantime, like, some of the futures bets that are, we can lay, and then we'll... we'll We'll show our work for the audience, and I'll and I'll place that bet on Thursday. That sounds like a plan. You have to you have to understand here. I am an absolute noob with gambling and bets and stuff. Like Pierre LeBron taught me about point spreads like over the weekend. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter. Like you were like learning in, in public with everyone. Pretty much, and uh, yeah, it did. I, I went zero two against the spread. 
So I told us the first and last time I'm using point spreads. I'm half kidding, but uh, I'm very much a work in progress with that. Uh, anyway, well, let's, let's look like Jonathan Huberto is leading the league in scoring right now in points, right? Like, yeah. like maybe, maybe we, I'm not saying we place a bet on Jonathan, but like that, that race is very much up in the air more than people would have thought. Like McDavid and Dreisaitl didn't run away with it as they were early in the season. So maybe nope. we pick the, our, our Ross trophy winner or perhaps the, the goal scoring leader or, or whoever wins a cup. I'll, I'll, I'll send some odds into the group chat and we'll, we'll, we'll figure one out. Let's get to that for Thursday. Uh, before we uh, get to ask CJ, because of course it is a uh, Monday, a few more things. Did you watch the Carey price press conference on Sunday evening, uh, which happened pretty much smack in the middle of the AFC championship game, uh, but also just before they played against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Did you watch uh, that press conference uh, with Carey Price? I saw clips. I'll keep it real. I was watching the AFC championship game at the time. So very fair. I was doing the same thing too. Uh, but essentially for people who didn't see it, uh, I believe it's the first time he's spoken publicly since he got out of the player assistance program. And also uh, since news kind of broke out in the last few days that he essentially has to start over his rehab to uh, fix his injured knee. Uh, just to boil down just some of the key points that were mentioned here. He says his goal is to come back this season, but he can't really put any odds on how his chances are uh, with regards to returning to the Montreal Canadiens this year. Uh, he also said if, if his rehab messes up again, like he's, he's willing to do this again because it's very important for him to work his way back to the Montreal, well, just to play hockey again. That being said, uh, a lot of people are wondering, hey, uh, with the Canadians trying to reshuffle the deck and moving some players out, is Carey Price a guy you want to move out? He doesn't seem like he wants to really move anywhere. Uh, those are just some key takeaways from it. Uh, but from the clips you might have seen or any stuff you might have seen, any other insight on Carey Price? Well, I think it's too soon to be talking about where he might play if he finishes his career as a have. Like what my takeaway would, my takeaway is that his career's in some degree of jeopardy, uh, or it's just not certain what he's dealing with physically. And you know, let's look back over the last seven or eight years. I mean, there's been a pattern of knee-related issues that he's had. I'm not sure they're all directly related, but I mean, you know, he's played over 700 NHL games as a goaltender. Like that's that's a ton. Um, and you know, obviously there's a physical toll that that takes, you know, I'm happy mentally that, that he's in a good place that he mentioned, you know, the treatment he, he, um, received for substance use at the start of the season was, was successful that, that, you know, he's, he's kind of gotten to a better place in his life, but we don't yet know what his body is going to allow him to do. And, you know, he mentioned that he was nervous or anxious about these next few weeks, just seeing how he responds because he is back now on the ice a little bit. And, and obviously trying to ramp up towards some kind of return. And he doesn't know physically if that's going to be able to happen because of the setbacks he has and because of some of the struggles I think he's had in the past with those type of injuries. And so I think my takeaway is, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think he's someone to root for that, you know, you hope his, his career isn't over on this. And, and I don't think we're at that stage, but just not entirely clear when he's going to be able to do what. And until that plays out, I don't think we can really truly handicap you know, how many, what he's got left, if Montreal should trade him, all that type of stuff. I think it's it's premature to get into that until we see, you know, if he can get back in the net this season. I think it'd be a cool story if he was to play games. I know that the team's season is lost in terms of wins and losses on the ice, but, you know, there, there's a there's a good story of personal perseverance that, that could be told if he's able to play games for the Habs this season. That's a very good point, and I'm glad uh, we can pretty much leave it at that with Gary Price and we don't have to get into how bad of a team the Montreal Canadiens have been because I've seen enough 
to make that judgment. Uh, you you are obviously going to be in Vegas. Though. Like the one thing I missed that I think is missed about yeah. Montreal situation yes. is like they've had a crazy season of injuries yes. and COVID losses. And like, I know no one forecasted going from the cup final to last place in the league at the midway point that quickly, but they've had a lot go against them too. And I just see a lot of people really teeing off on them. And I do think a piece of context is missing that no team could probably lose this many players and not have significantly, you know, alter their results on the ice. And so that's, that's the only thing I'll say about the Canadians is I don't think they're this bad. I just think that a lot of things have gone against them this year and will not surprise me in the least, even if they don't have a crazy big off season, if next year's a lot better, just because odds are they're not going to have like 10 and 12 guys out at a time. Like they were playing lines. Like I was like reading their lines on Twitter sometimes. It's like, Man, this is like Laval Rocket. It, you know, this is an AHL team with a couple they guys. They had ECHL guys up here at one point. At least right. one guy. So, like, you know, it's not to it's not to excuse this, and I understand people are probably frustrated and mad and are like, how are we going to watch 40 more games of this? But there are circumstances that I think some people are missing as to why they've fallen so far so fast. This is true. You're going to be in Vegas this week uh, for the All-Star game. Are you going to be able to watch the skills competition? Absolutely. Okay, so you're probably going to see, uh, this was from an article that I read in The Athletic uh, this morning, the Fountain Face-Off, uh, which is some new fangled thing that they're going to put in for this year where they're essentially going to have players on boats and they're going to take them to platforms in front of the Bellagio and they're going to be shooting pucks into these five targets and they have to get them in the least amount of time to win. That sounds very fancy very Vegas. Am I tripping? I think there was like one year the the NFL draft was supposed to be in Vegas and they're supposed to bring in players on boats. Did that happen? I feel like a lot of people are trying to use that whole boat thing. Well, the Bellagio Fountains, probably the most iconic part of the Vegas Strip, arguably. You know, it's certainly yes. one of the best known landmarks on that strip. And so when you're in Vegas, you're struggling. There's so much to do. There's so much that to get attention. You're struggling to get attention, right? You know, I think that the Pro Bowls in Vegas this week, uh, week as well as, as the All-Star game. And so there's a lot going on. I mean, that's that's what Vegas is. And so I love this from the NHL. Honestly, you got to try stuff. I mean, the All-Star weekend, I think we've talked about this. Like, it's it's just meant to be fun. We don't know how well it'll come off. Like, I know they've tried events in the past. Like, St. Louis, they had guys, like, in the stands shooting at targets on the ice. And, you know, maybe the event didn't go off quite as well as they like. But I like – I give them points for trying. I'm going to award them points preemptively for trying on this, but let's hope the players get into it. Let's hope it's actually kind of interesting. At minimum, it's going to get them some attention in a place where it's hard to get attention. And so I'm all for this. I'm curious to see how it works out. Um, yeah, I'm not clear exactly how it's going to look, but you know, I, I yeah. like that the league. I like that the league is trying stuff. Look, it's. I think it's. It's in. I get that it's in style to just like shit on everything they do uh, when it comes to this weekend, but. You know, we should also like not take ourselves so seriously. This is entertainment. And if there's anywhere you can be outside the box and do whatever, I mean, Vegas, like, you see all sorts of stuff there. Like I'm going to be having a morning coffee one day at like 8 a.m. and see people that are still up from the night before and whatever. It's just a place where anything goes. And so I think anything should go in this all-star skills competition. So I get the sense you'd also like the NHL 21 and 22 event where uh, players will shoot at oversized playing cards trying to get to 21. So basically they're going to have them play blackjack. I was told there'd be no math, but you know, math is essential. To blackjack. <laughs> yes. Uh, blackjack, one of, 
I'm not a huge gambler, but blackjack's the one game I'll play. I'll probably sit down and play a little bit of when, while I'm down there. Uh, yeah, I think that, that's great. I mean, as I say, like you, you want to tailor the event to the place you're in. And I think Vegas does open up more possibilities. You know, you're probably not doing this event if the all-star games in Raleigh or, or what have you, like it wouldn't make as much sense. And so for a one-off, why not? I think just hopefully it, it doesn't drag too long. Like I think that's, that's the challenge of introducing these new skills. Like, the reason that you've had like hardest shot and the target competition and, and, you know, certain, you know, fastest skater, like that we've had those things going back to like the eighties is because they're really easy to understand. They work well. They're sort of historic. Like it, it can be hard to introduce new events because it's one thing to sit and draw it up in the boardroom. And, and it's another thing to like get the players to actually really be into it and try to succeed at it. And so, you know, I, I hope it goes well. Um, and I hope, you know, the guys can have, have a little experience with the cards and know, do the right math as they're, they're playing that thing out. Yeah, of course. Last segment before we get to ask CJ. Uh, this is just an idea I kind of came up with kind of freewheeling as freewheeling, excuse me, English, just failing me this morning. Jeez. Um, I came up with a list of players, some that I've heard, you know, that could be uh, traded ahead of the trade deadline, trade chatter around them, uh, players who could be chasing a Stanley Cup ring. You know, I put together a list of five. And depending on how this goes today, maybe we do this again with a few other names because, you know, the trade deadline, we could see more than five people traded. I'm going to mention a name. And if you can, just tell me whatever, what trade chatter you might have heard about them. Yeah. Is, are, we, are we putting too much in their trade stock? Are, are we not putting enough trade stock in them? Like, I'm calling this the trading pile. I, I, I'm workshopping a title here. So are, are you cool with that? Is that cool? I know I kind of I kind of sprang this on you. Sure, we'll just do a rapid fire because some of them I might not have that much to say. That's very fair. Uh, how about this name to start? Uh, Peter Morazic. Not being traded. You know, I, I think that the, the question with Morazic, right, is he makes $3.8 million against the cap for two seasons beyond this one. The Leafs obviously are a team that have a lot of money committed elsewhere. They don't have a lot to play with. And Jack Campbell is a pending unrestricted free agent. And so, you know, if Jack Campbell gets paid five or five and a half million on his next contract, which is this point, probably something that he can quite rightly ask for. It's hard to see the Leafs also paying another goaltender 3.8 million at the same time. And so I get why people are connecting the dots here that Mrazek probably isn't a long-term Maple Leaf, despite having two more years on his contract. But I also don't think the Leafs, they, they signed him for a reason. They want depth at that position. They can afford to have those guys making what they make today. And I think you'll see Mrazek stick around as insurance, perhaps. I mean, I think he's going to play a lot more in the second half, assuming his body stays healthy, which was the issue is why he's, he's played so few games now this season. And then this summer that that will be revisited and they'll, they'll, they'll address that, uh, you know, potentially moving them then. Uh, one name that was mentioned over the weekend, Connor Garland. Vancouver is wide open for business and, you know, they're not trading in Elias Pettersson probably not trading a Bo Horvat who's got one more year on his contract beyond this one, their, their captain. But I, I do think that they're open to Connor Garland, you know, JT Miller certainly is someone they're at least considering whether he should be moved. And, you know, as Jim Rutherford said, they're a capped out team and they're, they're not a playoff team as of this moment. I mean, maybe they can rally and get in in the second half, but the odds are stacked against them. And so, you know, I could see them shipping out money and, and that means maybe trading a player you like and Connor Garland, you know, just got there in the summer, signed an extension after the trade from Arizona. 
and has played well. I think he's performed well, and that's why there would be interest in him. And so, you know, it's not just trading away pending unrestricted free agents or older players on smaller deals. You know, I think the Canucks are going to consider almost anything. And if you look at Jim Rutherford's history, like he has never been afraid to swing a trade. He's, yeah. he's, he's made more trades than any GM by far in the last 20 years. And so I would not be the least bit surprised if it ends up being a Connor Garland. It's not saying that they've made up their mind. He has to be traded, but I think that they're open to discussions and he's a player that other teams want. Uh, John Klingberg, a name uh, we've discussed on the show before. It's cooled off a little with him. And, you know, the stars have, have reeled off a, a nice winning streak here right before the all-star break. And so maybe that's eased some of the pressure around it or the tension, you know, certainly I still expect him to be moved um, just because of how that situation has gone. You know, the, the contract talks on his extension felt entirely quiet earlier this year. He came out and said he felt a little disrespected or not valued by the organization. You know, I don't think it's the best situation. And so, you know, the only thing that can maybe get in the way here, Julian, is there's a lot of defensemen I think are going to be made available leading up to March 21st. And so maybe if the value isn't there, if it's not worth Dallas's, you know, time to trade someone of that impact, maybe they, they hold on to them. But at this point, I still think they're focused on trying to deal them, but it's kind of cooled off a little bit. And maybe some of the urgencies out of the situation because the team's been winning. Jacob Chitrin of the Arizona Coyotes. The auction's still going. You know, we've had teams sort of be interested and fall back. You know, Florida seemed really interested and maybe fell out. You know, some people say they're still there. You know, I think the Rangers kicked tires, Boston, L.A., uh, Columbus. You know, I, I think, look, the, the trouble with this, he's got three years beyond this season on his contract. Like, you don't have to make this move now if you're the Coyotes if you don't feel that the offers get to a spot. And so, you know, he's been quite out there for quite some time. I know there's a lot of teams that at least inquired and have looked into seeing the fit. The trade hasn't materialized. And so I'm not going to say with certainty that he gets moved by the deadline because I think there's still plenty of opportunity in the future to move him. But, you know, Arizona's basically sent any everything at the door that isn't nailed down to this point. And so they're willing to move that player. But a team's it's going to have to be a big package because he's 23 you know, his cap hits 4.6 million, you know, pretty reasonable for someone that age, you know, still, I think with prime years ahead and, and sign long-term. So a team, you know, acquiring him would have some certainty about getting multiple cup runs, say, or multiple strong playoff opportunities with him. And so, you know, we'll see where that one goes. So this last name I only brought up because someone, I think, tweeted this question at you if this person there was ever a chance this person could be moved by the deadline or if anyone had any interest in this player uh, so this is my way of kind of getting around uh including that question in and just putting it into this segment Zdeno Chara only if Zdeno Chara wants to move you know the Islanders and Lou Lamorello will do right by him you know that team's still like they're a long way back but they've got games in hand like they still haven't thrown in the towel internally on making the playoffs this season. And so, you know, I, I don't have any sense yet if that's something chair would want or if the Islanders will consider, but you know, if it gets closer to March 21st and it, it's more apparent that they can't make the playoffs, I don't see why not. I mean, Chara's in that mode. He's clearly, you know, chasing a cup. He, he left Boston to go to Washington last year. He signed with the Islanders this year. Uh, and I do think because he's on a manageable contract, there would be, contending teams that would bring him in just for his presence for for using him on depth maybe on a third pairing role type of thing um and so that that one will will have to be decided as we get closer to the deadline and that concludes trading pile 
I liked how that went. I thought that was pretty good. I might, I might bring that back. I might it might be a good back. way to like hit a number of issues around the league without spending too much time on them. Because obviously there's going to be a lot of rumors and things swirling around these next seven weeks. And yeah, I like that too. That's pretty good. Uh, what That reminds me of a segment that uh, I know I'll have to bring back at some point, the grab bag. Don't worry. We'll bring it back. Someone asked. Uh, but another segment we'll get to now, Ask CJ. Uh, this is the segment we do on Mondays where we go through some of your questions. Some may have already been answered in the Inside the NHL column uh, that uh, CJ writes every week when he's uh, you know doing his thing for stuff that appears in to the Toronto Star while working super hard for North Star Bets. But sometimes... We get some of the leftovers. Well, not really leftovers, but uh, we get some questions sent to us uh, specifically through Discord or stuff on Twitter as well. Um, I want to go through this one from Irene Wong on Twitter. Curious to know for your hockey insider segments, are you business dressed from head to toe or business from the waist up and casual from the waist down? Love the CJ show. This might be a little, this might be a little much, but uh, I'm very curious to see what your answer to this is. I'm all business. It depends where I'm doing the hits from. Like if you ever see me in the studio, which is where I do my insider trading segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm wearing a full suit at Absolutely. that point. I do actually have one fit that I wear with like jeans. It's a little more casual and, and like a blazer and, and shirt and tie. So I guess occasionally I do have jeans on when I'm wearing that. But for the most part, it's, it's all suit and tie. Now in the pandemic times where I was doing more hits from home, sometimes it would be track pants on the bottom and then shirt, tie, and jacket on the top because, you know, I'm at home. There's no one else I have to worry about seeing how ridiculous that look looks at its entirety, and, and there's no way anyone would need to know. And so I would say it just depends where those hits happen. But for the most part, it's it's all business. Um, I think it's I think it's better that way. It feels more comfortable, actually, in a lot of ways. And, and you know, that's, that's how I do it. There are some people, and I'm not going to name names, though, that uh, have a more relaxed, uh, below-the-waist situation going on and, and just – just prefer to do what's what's shown on TV. Damn. Now I want to know who those people are. Uh, but I'll get to the next question from Red Shark Pack on Discord. Is it time to retire the don't touch the championship trophy super, superstition? Five of the last six Stanley Cup champions have touched the conference trophy. This is a question after my own heart. And how fitting, because I made the decision to touch the Stanley Cup the other day. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not quite the same thing, but like, I, I don't believe in the superstition. Like my point is I actually don't believe I'm ruled out now from winning the cup if I end up working for a team. So, you know, I've, I've always thought, you know, especially for teams that haven't been there before, like you don't know if you'll get that moment again. Like why wouldn't you, you've still won something. If you win your conference, like whatever team wins the Eastern conference this year, like that's a huge accomplishment. Um, and so if you get to that point, like I've got no problem with that team grabbing the trophy and, taking some nice pictures on the ice. Like, I think even if you never win a Stanley cup, that's a pretty cool moment to have with your teammates. And so I've always thought it was a good idea. I remember, you know, Sidney Crosby, who is very superstitious, notably didn't touch it. No eight, And they, they lost the cup final. He's touched it every year since that they've, they've, they've got there and they won in nine, 2009, 2016, 2017. Like, I think that just makes sense. And so I'm all for teams. I would retire that superstition. I think most superstitions in general, while some of them can be fun, aren't really that productive. And so, yeah, grab it, enjoy it, take a photo. You know, you got to enjoy your life. Like that's literally what I was thinking. Like me and my dad are standing here at the Stanley cup. Like I might never get this again. Like, of course we're going to like, we're going to, we're going to embrace it uh, as the third member of the family for this photo. The New York Rangers retired Henrik Lundqvist's Jersey 
uh, over the weekend. Do you have a favorite Henrik Lundqvist memory? This is from Steve Pans on Discord. I remember interviewing him once at one of those NHL media tours, like where you're like yeah. alone in the room with him. And I was in a boardroom in New York at the league where the league office was at the time. And just like, you felt like he had like a air about him and I don't mean a bad air. Like, just like you felt like you were in the, like literally in like the presence of royalty or something. Like there's just, there was really a, a special quality about him. He was such a sincere man though. Like that's, that's actually, I kind of remember his humanity more like that as much as, Obviously, he's got the, the the good looks and he's got all the interests and in playing guitar and friends of the celebrities, you know, like real like he he couldn't come across as a more normal guy and, and a more caring guy. Uh, I also remember and this isn't a good memory of Henrik's career, I'm sure, but the Stanley Cup final in 2014, like you could see him. You know, he'd worked so hard to get there and, I, you know, they lost game two of that series at Staples Center in overtime. And I remember we were all waiting in the dressing room for like 20 minutes. I'm not kidding. While he slowly took his equipment off and like, he wasn't being a jerk. It just, you could feel the, just how much it meant to him and, and how devastated he was by like, it was a really close game. And then they'd lost to go down 0-2 in the series. Um, but man, what a, just honestly, just a gentleman won, won everything, but the Stanley cup got very close with that, that Rangers team in 2014. And really a lot of those years, like they were, they were always among this, the handful of teams you said could win it if certain things went their way. You know, they lost a game seven against the Lightning in 2015 of the Eastern Conference Final, one nothing or 2-1. Anyway, I mean, the margins were pretty slim. And he had, I mean, Lundqvist himself had insane game seven numbers over his career. And so, you know, he's an automatic Hall of Famer, but but was a Hall of Fame person. And and I think, you know, ultimately, when it's all said and done, and and we talk about players stepping away from their career, I mean, that's that's the kind of impact you want to leave. And I think anyone who spent time around Henrik Lundqvist, you know, came to feel that way about him. Last question with the Noxie and Cax podcast with which two players, uh, one recently retired and one currently active, would you pick for the next SDPN podcast? Ooh. Do they have to be hockey players? I assume, I assume they mean hockey players. I mean, I guess we start with what active player would we want on a podcast? Brad Marchand's talking a lot of shit lately. Maybe he wants one. And then do you, do you pair him with a retired sort of straight man, for lack of a better way to put it, or do you pair him with another kind of goofball? Mm, um, that's a good question. I feel like you kind of – I feel like for – that's a good question because depending on who you get, like you make the podcast – you could easily make the podcast kind of more centered around Brad Marchand or if someone's equally as goofy as he is – you let him do it. Uh, maybe like Sean Thornton might, he's played with him for a couple of years. Maybe he knows a thing or two. Right. Man, that's a good question. I didn't prepare for this one. And so it's hard. And I'm sort of playing it out. Yeah. Real time. That's fine. I, I think a lot of people appreciate like the, the, the inner machinations of your mind working in real time. Well, so for, he maybe doesn't count as recently retired anymore, but I'm good buddies with Colby Armstrong. And yeah, there's, there's one thing about Colby, just a great, super guy. He's got great stories and he loves to tell stories. And I find he's got a really good way of relaxing players, like the current day players. Like he really connects with them. He does. And so I would actually pick him as my recently retired. Like, I don't know if you saw, I did an interview with Sidney Crosby at one point. I did one with Brendan Gallagher. I did. Like he, He's actually like a, he's not an interviewer. He's not Barbara Walters or what have you. He's not like Elliot Friedman, but he, he has a great interviewing style because he's such a, 
just a good guy that, that connects with people. So I actually think he'd be good to bring the best out of the current player. I'm just not, I'm not saying I'd pair him with Brad Marchand though. Is the only thing. Yeah. Who's like a really cool personality who's in the game right now. Who would be good for this? Like I know PK has, PK had his own podcast. Yeah. Like Steve was on, Steve was on it at one point. I think I'm not tripping. I might be tripping. Maybe I'm not. Um, yeah, this is tough. This is a really tough one. We didn't get all the way there, but I, I Colby would be my retired guy for sure. Because he's he's got amazing stories, honestly, like just hilarious stories, um, and like within the, within the boundaries, like I'm not saying like all off color, uh, and he loves hockey, which I think of is course got to be a minimum requirement for this podcast, right? Like someone yeah, who just someone who just like still loves the game. Man, we're really thinking about this. This is really, I, know. I, I think, I think, I think like, I think he could get something out of Brad Marchand. I think we could get a lot of funny laughs if those two were in the same room. I'm just going to just lock in my two answers as Colby and, and, and Brad, unless there is another name that pops into your mind, like immediately after I say this. No, I'll stick with that. I think that they would, I think they would be fun. And what I would appreciate about Brad is what I try to bring you here on the CJ show is just, I think he'd be authentic. You'd know his stance on things. He'd tell you what he knows and what he thinks he knows. And that's, uh, that's what we try to do around here, Julian. That's what we try to do every episode we do uh, whenever we get together for the Chris Johnston show. That does it for our Monday edition. Uh, Thursday, of course, we will have stick taps. We will have all the other fun stuff. CJ will be in Vegas by then. So, uh, Hey, Behave yourself, CJ. You have a po- you have work to do. <laughs> Don't get let's too wild. Right? Like, let's not schedule that one for like seven a.m. Pacific time or something. Yeah, let's let's we'll 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 figure that out when we get off recording. Uh, but yeah, Thursday episode we'll have that for sure. Uh, be sure to check out CJ up on Twitter. Reporter Chris is the handle. North Star Bets is the place he works for, and sometimes you can read his stuff in the Toronto Star. I have stuff at the Athletic. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic because it's just cool to do. And of course, check out all the other great content you can find at SDPN, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, on the YouTube page, uh, H Provocateur, Noxian Cax, the Steve Dangle podcast. I guess that podcast is okay. And maybe other cool, fun stuff too. You know, they got a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, uh, we got a lot of good stuff going on. CJ, did you want to add anything before I wrapped this baby up? No, I, uh, it was a fun weekend. I got close to Stanley Cup, got close to greatness. It's going to be fun this weekend, too. As, as much as the All-Star game, I get, isn't maybe compelling, it's, a, it's actually a neat event to be around all the top players. Sort of like the closest we get to a hockey convention, you know, that in the draft. And so I'm excited for this week to get out there and see some people again because it's, uh, it's been a long time. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and peace. CJ, be safe. And uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday in Vegas. Yes, sir. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.